Hey, good morning, you guys. I hope you're doing awesome today on this uh, beautiful Sunday morning. And uh, we're here to dig into God's word. Uh, today, we are talking about uh, the scriptures. And again, uh, a Bible that looks like this, falling apart, probably belongs to a life of someone who is not. So wear out your Bible. Take it with you. Bring it in the car. Read it as much as you can. Underline, circle. Just wear that thing out. The more you dig into your word, the more ragged it looks means you're in it. And the more you're in it, the more it's in you. And this is the whole point of this sermon series. It's the whole point of why Jesus came. It's the whole point of the scripture to be all in with God, right? All in. And the only way we get all in is we dig all into his word. We like feast on it, dig into it, know it. Forget your religious stuff. Know the Bible. Don't put religion over scripture. Religions that do that are, are not of God. They are not of God. If the Bible isn't our authority, if a religious group is the authority over the scripture, you are not in a Christian following. You're not. You're in some kind of religious organization. Don't do it. Don't do it. Be all in with Jesus. Be all in with the word of God. Be all in with the scriptures. And it's pretty simple. I mean, the gospel message is so simple that a kid can understand it. God created everything, right? Easy. We sinned. We have fallen away from God. We're separated by our sins. God sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on a cross for me so that my sins could be forgiven so I could come back into a relationship with God. And all I'm going to do from then on is live my life for Jesus according to the scripture. It is so simple. A kid, a child can understand it. That's how simple it is. Don't let adults, don't let religious people make it complicated. It's not. It's not that complicated. We are in 1 John, and we are all into 1 John. John is, uh, remember 1 John, he's talking to a bunch of churches that are in Ephesus back in the day. Later in John's life, this isn't right after Jesus died and went back to heaven. This is not really at the very beginning of the church age, when the church was birthed. This is a little bit later after that. It is during John, the Gospel of John, who lived with Jesus, James and John. It is during his lifetime. So it's within the next like 50, 60 years that he's going to write this letter. So the church is probably 50 years old, maybe 40, 50 years old. And now these churches are meeting in homes. And now John's going to write this letter to just encourage them and reassure them about their faith. Uh, he's going to mainly point out that Jesus is the word of life, that Jesus is the word of God that became, that, that became one of us, the incarnate Christ, Jesus is. And that's what he's going to, um, he's going to encourage his, his followers to understand, that, that, that Jesus came in the flesh. Remember Gnosticism is saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. They're trying to teach some other doctrine that Christ was some spirit, that he didn't really die in the flesh. And John is trying to say, look, we touched him. We walked with him. We heard him. We ate with him. We slept on rocks out in the fields with him. He was very much a human being. And so we're in uh, 1 John. I hope you got your Bibles. We are in uh, verses 5 to 10. 
And we are going to pick up right where we left off. And here's where we were in verse 7. John says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This is a powerful verse. This is a great verse. John says, if we will walk, right, that's move through time. If we walk, if we will move through time on the earth, our, remember, eternity is forever. Our time on earth is so short. And in this little time that we're going to live on this planet is called time. We live in time, not in eternity. We live in time. And in time, we are going to walk through time birth to death, walking in the light. Not dabbling in the light, not visiting in the light, not once in a while hanging out in the light, not once in a while showing up uh, with God's people in the light. That, that is not what John is saying here. He's saying you must and I must move through time in the light continually, always, forever. He says, but if we will walk in the light in the truth of Jesus, just as Jesus is in the light, because that's why we walk in the light, because that's where he is, then two big things are true. Two big things are true from this verse. <clears throat> We're going to attempt to get to verse 10 today, okay? That's my goal. Got a half hour to do it, okay? So study with me, work with me, move with me, uh, dig into the word with me. Don't, don't just block out all the other distractions for a little bit. And let's just really just... Have our Bibles open and, and underline, circle, write things in the margins. Just be a student of God's word for the next 30 minutes with me, okay? He says these two things are true if we will walk in the light. If you're going to walk in the light and you truly are walking in the light, you're not trying to lie to yourself and say you are, but you're not. But if you're going to walk in the light, two things are true. One, we have fellowship with each other. You can't, you can't replace this. This is that koinonia fellowship, this, this together fellowship, the body of Christ, the church, the body of Jesus, his people. In the Old Testament, it was the, it was the Hebrew children and Israel that became the Jewish nation. Now, in the new covenant with Christ, it's, it's all those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, give their life to him, surrender to him, be baptized in him. You are now sons and daughters of the king, a part of his kingdom, and we are his children. We are his church. He says, if you are walking in the light, then, then you will have fellowship with one another. This body of Jesus is coming together, this studying together, serving together, reaching the world together. It literally means doing life together with God's people. We all have our family that we're born into, but we now have another family that we're born into. When we're born again in Christ, baptized into Jesus, and I'm not talking about infant baptism. I'm talking about you as a person who understands that you have sinned against God, and now you know you need your life washed. Washed in the baptismally uh, grave of Christ. Like we're buried with Jesus in baptism and we rise again to a newness of life. We are born again. That's what we must do. Nobody can make that decision for you. Your parents can't do it. 
You need to understand what sin is first before you can make that decision for yourself. But this means literally doing life and moving through life together, like engaged in the life of Jesus and his people. That's what it means. Living in the light is dwelling with God's people, right? In the fellowship of God's people. And nothing can replace this. You know, I've play, I played on a lot of sports teams and been a part of a lot of different things, but nothing can replace the church. Your golf buddies can't replace it. Your sports teams can't. Your knitting clubs won't. Never will. The body of Jesus is unique on the planet. It's the kingdom of God. It's where his Holy Spirit moves and works. And, and each one, each part finding its place in the kingdom and in the church and, and, and the work of what Jesus is doing on the earth in Jesus, in the light. We have this fellowship with one another that you can't find anywhere else. You must. If you are walking in the light, you will be a part of the fellowship. And if you're not, you've got to ask yourself, are you walking in the light? Because God says walking in the light means fellowship with one another. The second thing it means is the blood of Christ, Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now that's the beauty. The shed blood of Jesus is the only power to have the power to forgive sin. To forgive sin. This is the very good news of the gospel, right? This is it. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from all my sin. And bro, there's a lot of it. And it keeps piling up. If I'm breathing, if I'm walking on the earth, I am messing up. It's part of life. His perfect sacrifice for me on the cross and for you. No other religious figure or so-called God can accomplish the forgiveness of sin, the bloodshed, and the resurrection power. No other religion, only Jesus and Christianity has this. Christ alone has conquered the death, uh, the grave, and death. And, and salvation is found in Jesus alone. No one else, no other prophet, no other so-called God has ever risen from the dead. Only Jesus. That's why all other religions are sinking sand. All religions do not lead to the same heaven. No, they don't. Only in Christ. He's, he alone. He alone. Only in Jesus. Forgiveness is yours and mine to claim in Jesus. His blood, he says, his blood, look what he says, his blood cleanses us. It cleanses us ceremonially or spiritually. means to make clean, to cleanse or to purify, right? It's the present tense of what goes on continually. This constant cleansing that I need all the time, every day, this constant cleansing of my sin, this constant forgiving, this daily forgiving of my sin. Matthew 6, Jesus said, pray like this. Matthew 6, Jesus says, here's how you should pray. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's this this ongoing, continual, me forgiving, God forgiving, so, so, that there's, so that there's this constant like flow of forgiveness happening as we live in each day. 
Okay, but and there's a there's a little dilemma here. There's a little uh, controversy over this idea of continual cleansing. Okay, some groups out there will say that. Christ died, Hebrews 10 says that Christ died once for all. So what they'll claim is that, that continual forgiveness is not necessary because Christ died once for all, one time, it's over, you're in, once saved, always saved, doesn't matter what you do, you have forgiveness over everything you do. But here's the deal with that. The deal is this, in Hebrews 10, which is that passage, he died once for all, uh, Christ died once for all. The, the, the passage, the context of the passage, if you look at that, and you need to read Hebrews 10, is talking about the shedding of blood, of the blood of bulls and goats uh, in the Old Testament ceremonies for forgiveness, right? That's what, that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about, the yearly cleansing of sin. The priest would go in to the Holy of Holies year after year, and he'd pour blood on the, on the altar, and he'd offer forgiveness for the, himself and for his family, and then they'd put, uh, he'd put his hands on his goat, and they'd slaughter one goat, and they'd Send the other one off into the wilderness as, a, as this like a scapegoat, the sins going out away from the camp. But when Christ came, his sacrifice was one time forever and for all. This is true. The blood shed of Jesus once and for all. These animal sacrifices no longer needed. The priest no longer needed year after year to go in and slaughter bulls and goats and animals. He didn't need to do that. Jesus has come. The, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God has shed his blood once and for all, ending all the Old Testament stuff that was uh, put in place by God. In fact, Hebrews 10 says, it clearly says, that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so all that blood, all that shedding was only pointing to Jesus. It never really did anything with sin. Only Christ could forgive sin. Only Jesus could accomplish the forgiveness of sin that was necessary for you and for me. And in his atoning death, he did away with this continual slaughtering of animals and the priestly year after year sacrifices. You, you really do need to read Hebrews 10 to understand that truth right there about the cleansing, the, the need for uh, continual and, and how Jesus' once for all sacrifice fits into this idea of cleansing. Right? That's what we need to see. Secondly, secondly, when it comes to this idea of uh, uh, no need for continual uh, sacrifice or, or forgiveness, secondly, is this the sin of mankind, the sin of mankind, the sin of Adam and the sin of humanity, the, the curse of the fall had to be reversed. This curse that was on uh, the, the planet, on women, and on Adam, this curse that we uh, live with had to be reversed. And we already know that the blood of bulls and goats and animals did not accomplish that. So it's why Paul says in Romans 5, for if by the trespass of one man, Adam, he's talking about, death came into the picture, or death reigned, the curse of death came in. He says, how much more grace and righteousness through the man, Jesus Christ. Death comes through Adam, life comes through Christ. 
once and for all, this forgiveness of sin, the curse, the curse of what Adam did is now reversed in Jesus. In that passage in Matthew 6, Jesus goes on to say in that prayer passage about how to pray, he goes on to say this, for if you forgive men their trespasses, listen to it, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So there's this continual need for forgiveness as we live on the earth, right? That even after coming into the light of Jesus, us forgiving other people, God forgiving you and me, living moving through time in the light of Christ, moving through time. This constant need for cleansing and for forgiveness along the way. In John chapter 15 of his gospel, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. This is the act, the very act of staying in Jesus. We must we must do everything within our physical, mental, heart capacity to remain in Jesus. There is no such thing as once saved, always saved. You can put your brain and heart on autopilot and just go do whatever it is you want because you are already saved and it doesn't matter what you do. That is a lie from the devil. Jesus says very clearly over and over again, remain in me and I will remain in you. If you love me, you will obey me. There's countless scriptures that teach us very clearly that I have to make every effort within my being to stay in Jesus, to keep myself focused and disciplined in Jesus. So it's a one-time act of Jesus that forgiveness has come and purification is now offered. Jesus comes and he offers this to the world, but it's a continual act of us in Jesus to stay in him. And that's where we find forgiveness and cleansing and purification. There in him, we are set free from sin, right? There's this continual flow of grace when we are in Jesus, this grace that he lavishes on us. Let me take that off. It's getting warm up in here. More like Niagara Falls, like standing under Niagara Falls and this, this flow of God's grace just covering us than it is like this light sprinkling outside. It's, it's this gushing of flow of his grace on us. Grace, grace. God's amazing grace, it's so great, it's so good, and it's so miraculous from above to you and to me. In Jesus, in his marvelous light, we are made right with God. In Jesus, in him, in his light, and there is no better place for you and me to live our lives, to move through time. There's no better place to be than in him and not by works. Keep that separate. It's not by works so that we can't boast about the grace of God. We didn't do anything for, for his grace to come, but by his sacrifice there on the cross. And now it's offered to us Freely. It's offered to anyone in the, in the world, past, present, future. It's offered freely to us. 
There it is. He's come down from heaven. This gift of grace from above. I did nothing for him to come. What I did do was sin. And so God sends his son. There's the free gift of grace. I did nothing for that. But now that grace has come, I must respond. I have got to respond to that grace. I must come in to his grace and light, or I can choose to stay out like Adam. It's my choice. It's my choice. It's your choice. It's beautiful. Walk in the light. Verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And guess what? The truth's not in us. If we say, I don't have any sin. I don't have sin. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I don't have any sin. If we say that, if we really think that in our own heads, we're just deceiving ourselves. And the truth of God, his word, is not in us. Again, this is an issue of personal deception, right? Like, like we're, we're just fooling ourselves. We're not fooling God. We're not fooling people. They see us. They see what we do. We're fooling ourselves. And there's a little difference in this wording here, in, in this verse. Here, here he's talking about our sin after coming into the light. So we've come into the light and now we, we live our lives and we act as if we're good to go. We don't do anything wrong. We're, we're living our life. We have this living, breathing relationship with God. And so we must admit our sin as we mess up. We got to admit our sin. We get honest with ourselves, and we get honest with God. He's our father and we want to please him. And after we come into the light, if we mess up, forgiveness is right there. It's ours. God wants to forgive us. We're in grace. It's okay. Then we, we, we continually live our lives and we measure ourselves according to God's standards, which are holy and true and perfect. We're going to aim for perfection and we're going to aim for excellence. We're not going to aim for the world's standards, which are way lower than God's standards. The bar keeps getting lower and lower. Because, man, if, if we measured ourselves according to the world's standards, give us wings. Like, we deserve wings because we're angels, right, compared to the world. Like, I, I, haven't, I haven't, like, looted anyone's business. I haven't burned anybody's car or, or robbed someone's store or trashed their neighborhood or killed anyone today. I'm a pretty decent person, right? We hold ourselves to a higher standard, to God's standard of truth. And by them, we see and we admit that we are sinners saved by the grace of God alone. We own it. We own it. And we give God the glory because he has sent his son. And we claim then because of our sinful state and his grace that has come, we can now claim amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a sinner like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I see because I have come into this light. And we should say on a constant basis, like on a constant basis, should always be like in our, in our minds. Hi, my name is fill in the blank. My name is John Napple. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God. Forgiven by Jesus and his blood. 
when I came into his light, that power for healing and that power of God for salvation. Yeah, the devil is going to point out your past. People are going to remind you of your past. And the devil will rub the past of your sins in your face and try to bring you down. But God, God will remind you of his son's sacrifice and his grace and your forgiveness. And he will remind you of your future. And he will remind the devil of his future. Which isn't going to be good. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <laughs> There's good. More confess there. We saw the word cleanse us. Now we see this word confess our sins. This verse, if we confess our sins, God is faithful. He's righteous. He's going to forgive us our sins. He's going to cleanse us from everything we do wrong. This verse is oozing. It's just oozing this waterfall, this, this Niagara Falls of truth and grace for you and for me. Like God so much wants to forgive us. Like so badly he does. His desire is that all come to a knowledge of his son. Confess our sins to God, if we confess our sins to God, not some other person. There is nobody on this planet that can do what God can do. You have access directly to the Father. We don't need somebody in a booth. We don't need somebody else to tell our sins to. With that said, there's nothing wrong with talking with people and, and praying for each other. But nobody can forgive your sins. I don't care how many prayers you say. It's not going to happen. You have to give it to God. We have to come to him. Right? He wants to forgive us. Only Jesus can forgive you. Nobody else. No amount of prayers is going to get you forgiveness. You can't buy it. You can't light enough candles for it. Confession, confession, confession to God directly is part of this response that we have to his grace. He gives us grace and our response in part as we begin is to confess, to be honest with God, to acknowledge our offenses toward our holy God, to admit that I as a person have gone astray. And the truth is, if I were left to myself, if you were left to yourself without his grace, we would go further and further and further astray. David said this, King David said this, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's against God that we've sinned. We've offended people too. But it's against God first that we have sinned and offended God, the creator, the maker, the author of all things. So we have to get real honest with God, right? We get honest with him. We remember, we remember that God is light. He is the source of light, not just a light bulb lighting up an area. He is the very source of light. He already knows you. He, you are naked and you are exposed before God. He knows you. He sees right through you. You are an open book, like a fish on the dock. Your heart, mind, and attitude filleted and opened before the eyes of God. He knows everything about you. You're, there's no hiding. He knows you. 
no matter how good we think that we are. Remember Fonzie, Fonzarello? He'd look in the mirror and he'd go, hey, hey. We are not good. We're not good. We're very selfish. We're mostly selfish and we're very sinful. That's what we are. We are not, hey. We're not Fonzie. Fonzie wasn't that good either. We need Jesus. I'm not talking about my brother Bob. I'm talking about Fonzie, the actual one, Fonzarello. We need Jesus. We need his truth. Without him, the darkness just gets darker and darker and darker. Every aspect of my life needs Jesus. Everything I do, everything I'm a part of, all those things that I'm a part of in my life that make up moving through time, I need Jesus in every... I need Jesus. I need Jesus when I drive. He makes a difference as I drive my car. Jesus does. Did you know... Did you know that in every city, Burlington and your city and my city and all the cities, uh, every, every given minute, there are four to eight oblivious drivers. This is a, this is a uh, made up stat that I'm making up right now. But in every given city, there are four to eight oblivious drivers out there on the streets. And my question always is, why are they always like in front of me and next to me and around me? Why are all eight of them right here with me? And I have to admit, my confession is like road rage, right? It's just so aggravating. Honestly, without Jesus, I'd lose it. I would lose it. Flip them off, cuss them out, cut them off. It's, it's aggravating. But with Jesus, right, with Jesus, uh, we're learning, I'm learning to be disciplined, to be a bit calmer, to breathe. But the truth of the matter is I'm a sinner capable of sin, great sin. And I have to face it and I have to give it to God. And then God will begin to change you from the inside out. Confess it, just confess it our sins because he is righteous. He is faithful. He will forgive you and he will keep on forgiving and cleansing you for he is the faithful and righteous one. He is the faithful, the constant, the author of it all. And he is the righteous one, the true one, the just one. He is just. And I'm not saying we we come in and out of grace. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that, that like we sin and now we're going to hell and we ask for forgiveness. Now we're back in heaven. And I'm not saying that. That is not the case at all. When he sets us free, we are free indeed. We mess up on a constant basis, and his grace is greater than our sin for sure, and he's a good, good father who wants to forgive his children, and it's this relationship that we have, and when we mess up, he forgives us, he cleanses us. It's an ongoing thing. We don't come in and out of grace. We have forgiveness. But continual sin, continual sin is more than just messing up. It's not just we're making a mess to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. We're not just messing up or, or making a mistake here. This is continual. If we continually sin over and over again, doing the same sin, just, just rebelling against God's truth. Paul talks about this continual sin in Romans 6 and Hebrews 4. And James talks about it in chapter 4. And 1 John chapter 3, later on, as we move through this book, we're going to see more about this. 
Paul says that God's grace is so big, it's greater than all of our sin, that God's grace is this, this overflowing Niagara Falls of grace, and our sin is just like covered in it. It's, it's so much bigger than our sin. And then he says, so, so because his grace is so much bigger, should we just go on sinning? Grace is going to cover it, right? And then he says, no, 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 no. We died to sin. When we came into Jesus, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? No, we don't do that. That would be taking advantage of grace. Hebrews 4 gets real heavy. Listen to what, what the writer of Hebrews 4 says. He says, if we keep on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, we've come into the light and we're going to keep on sinning, Deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Only a fearful expectation of judgment and the fierceness of fire which will devour the adversaries. He says, the punishment is severe for those who have trodden underfoot the Son of God. Continual sin is not a good thing. It is not a good thing. At some point, if we keep on sinning, what we're doing is we're making mockery of the cross. We are quenching the, we are throwing water on the work of the Holy Spirit, fire in our lives. This must not happen. This cannot be once we've come into the light. Jesus is more than able to forgive our sin. He is the righteous one for us the unrighteous ones, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's what he is, because he is faithful and righteous to forgive the unrighteous. That's who Jesus is. We must not take his gift of grace lightly or insult the sacrifice of Christ by continually sinning. This must not happen. It can't. It is very much God's nature to to not only be faithful and righteous, but to show those attributes toward his children. He wants to do this. He loves to do this. It blesses him to show mercy to us. He is true. He is faithful. He is just to his word. First, to his word. He has to punish Sin, your sin and my sin must be dealt with because God said in the beginning that if we sin, we die. So now the word is there and we must, he must honor his word because he is just and righteous. So how does God do this? How does God punish sin? Well, he takes the blow. The punishment established for me. He took the blow for me and for you in your place. He is the one who like sets the law and establishes the moral code, right? That's what he does. He's done that already in the beginning. He is the judge then who says, you are guilty of sin. The punishment of sin is death. <clears throat> and then Jesus does something really interesting. Really merciful, really graceful. The judge comes across the table and he dies for the guilty. He dies for the sinner. 
He dies in my place. The death penalty that I deserve to pay, he comes and stands in my place and he dies for my sins. He dies for me. Cleansing me, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, from all of it, so that we can come back into this relationship with the Father. We can be made clean by the blood of Christ and come back into this spiritual, holy relationship with the Father. And as we mess up, continual grace and forgiveness comes and cleanses us. What a great God we have. What a great God he is. We just need to get honest with him. We need to be honest with him. If we say, verse 10, if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in, with, uh, in us. It sounds a little bit like a repeat of some of the verses we've read, right? But this is kind of a new thought that John is sharing with us. Back in verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we are liars. We are deceiving ourselves. Here he says, if, if, we, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. Not only are we liars, we're making God out to be a liar. Earlier, it was post-light sin. Like after we come into the light, right? After coming into Jesus, post-light sin. What do we do about this? It's a constant cleansing for us. Here, it's pre-light sin, right? Before salvation, before you came into Jesus, the fall of mankind and our contribution to the sin cesspool on the planet, like all of us. We've all contributed to this sin cesspool. And then he says, if we say, if we say, I don't need God, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm making God out to be a liar. I'm making him out to be a liar. Because he sent his son to the earth, like to deal with the sin of mankind. Scripture says all have sinned. Sin separates us from God. Sin has to be dealt with. Jesus paid the price for your sins. So if I say, I haven't sinned. I'm declaring that I'm good with God. Jesus didn't need to come. This doesn't make God a liar. It makes his declaration of our sinful state a lie and untrue. Like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. God, you don't know what you're talking about. And in that way, we make God out to be a liar. Simply by not admitting our need for a savior. By acting as if I've got this, I'm good, I don't need the blood of Christ. I'm good to go. Just admit your sin. Like if his word is in you, if the living word of God is in you, then you will clearly see your sin. You clearly see your sin in your own life because God is holy and I am not. When I look into the law of God, the word of God, the truth of God and who God is, I realize I do not measure up. I've missed the mark. I've missed the bullseye. I've fallen short. I'm a sheep that has wandered away because of my sin. Remember when Adam and Eve did when uh, they were in the garden, they ate from the tree and God comes looking for them and they hide, right? Their eyes were open to sin. Their eyes were open to shame. 
Guilt they never hid from God before, but now they're hiding from God. And God says, uh, what have you done? And, and Adam says, it wasn't me. Uh, and, and she made me do it, right? She made me do it. And she says, the devil made me do it. And all these fingers start pointing and blame goes around. No, 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 Adam. No, Eve. Nobody made you do anything. You gave in. You are guilty. You chose by your free will the way of darkness. Now take personal responsibility for your sin. Own it. Don't run and hide. Just admit it. And then just accept God's free gift of grace. And go ahead and get right with the Lord because God is always right and true. And our imagination is always dazed and confused. We don't get to change God's moral codes and standards to fit our fleshly yearnings. That is not how it works. Anything does not go in God's kingdom and standards, and it never, never will. Sin comes at a cost, an eternal wage, and you can call it whatever you want. This is the whole point of Jesus coming. Our sin that had to be dealt with. And God sends his son to deal with it. We have become a society of rebellious fools, flashing all kinds of sin in the face of God, trashing not just his people, but his very word itself, making mockery of God's created order. No wonder the planet groans. No wonder Jesus wept. And in our own way, we are all guilty. I, I am in the wrong. We are all in the wrong, not God. God is in the right. He is always in the right because he is God. And if I say I'm good to go, I am a liar. Just repent, repent. God has made a way for you and for me. Just turn away from your sin. Turn away, repent, turn away from it. Another aspect of responding to God. We confess Jesus. He is right. He is true. I'm a sinner. We confess him to be Lord of our, and we repent. We change. We turn. We do everything within our own being to stop doing sinful things with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now living in us, we're going to change. God's going to help us change. We're going to let the word of life this word of life that John is proclaiming, this word of life that has come dwell in us and let his truth be our marching orders. It's time, it's time. It's time to stop dabbling around Jesus and around the light. And it's time that we make a, a really smart, wise decision and go all in with God. And just tell the Lord, Lord, I am all in with you. And surrender everything you are to Jesus. Guys, have a great day. We got through chapter one. We're going to move into chapter two next week. I'm so excited. There's so much good stuff here. I, I hope and pray that the word of God is penetrating our hearts and our minds and convicting us in real life ways. That we're not just hearing this and going, okay, that's, that's a great word, that's great scripture, 
but that when we go to work on Monday, when we go and interact with the world on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, in the world, we this word keeps coming to the front of our mind and it is adjusting and changing and transforming how we live in the real world. I hope that's happening because that's what it looks like when you're living in the light all in. God bless you guys. Have a great day.